I also love the mantra, I get to choose, because it makes me feel really powerful to know that I get to choose how I'm going to respond in this moment. I get to choose whether I'm going to react or respond. Every day is a whole new set of choices. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm happy to have you here today. We have such an interesting guest today. And before I do move on, I want to say Thank you to the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute here at the Montreal Neuro for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. Um, we are so happy to have them back us and we love talking about research as do they. So this is really important to us. If you are enjoying the Curious Neuron podcast, please take a moment to rate it on iTunes and to review it. And if you are not following us on Instagram, come join us at Curious underscore Neuron. So like I said, we have an important guest today and I'm going to take a little bit of a twist with regards to the information that will be talking about or the topic it's still about parenting but I think we deserve to give the kids a voice and we need to talk about the kids and how we respect and treat the kids so today's guest is Anna Skates and Anna is a child and family advocate and that's why I wanted her on to speak about this alongside her work directly aimed at helping children develop social and emotional skills through her company Otterly she also provides consulting services to parents and caregivers seeking to create more peaceful relationships with their children in their lives I love everything about Anna I think it took me a whole three and a half seconds to reach out to her after she was following me <laughs> and I don't know if you could confirm that welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited uh, <laughs> to be here. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. I've loved your stuff for a long time. I love a good science-based uh, approach. <laughs> I love I love the nerds of the world. I am a nerd. <laughs> so I, I like sincerely appreciate your work and I'm glad to be here chatting with you. Thank you. Like I said, I I, th I like to look to see like who are the new followers. And as soon as I saw your name, mm -hmm. I clicked on your profile and I think I sent you a DM right away and yeah. like welcomed you into the community. And I said, you have to be cool because you are a fan of, <laughs> of Mr. Rogers. So let's chat. Yes. <laughs> and we connected yes. on that. So talk a little bit about yourself and how, you know, why did you join Instagram and what kind of information are you sharing with the world? Yeah, I mean, I, like a lot of people joined Instagram for personal, like it was just my personal profile for the longest time. I was just sharing my life and hmm. all these things. And a few years ago, I saw the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that was about the life of Fred Rogers. I haven't seen it. Cindy, you have to watch this doc. It is I have to. beautiful. It's beautiful. But I, you know, sobbed the whole way through it. <laughs> like literally during the opening credits, I was already crying. So you'll you'll get why when you watch. But <laughs> but I walked away from that with such a deep sense of purpose for what I wanted to do and how I wanted to show up in the world. Mm. And so that's sort of when my presence online started to shift also. Um, and it took a while to find the people that wanted to hear what I was saying, because so many of the people that I was connected to were just like mm -hmm. friends from high school and family members, you know, they just wanted to see pictures of my dogs. And, <laughs> and 
I wanted to really talk about how <laughs> to respect children, how to actually see them as valuable members, not mm. only of your family, but of the world, of society. Um, and it took a while for that to shift. Um, and, and it has, and I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I have worked with kids most of my life in some form or fashion from like just babysitting as a teenager to running programs and writing curriculum. So I've sort of done all kinds of things that span that work. And so then my approach to my work now, a lot of which is coaching parents really does come from a kid first angle Mm -hmm. um, because I just so deeply love them and I see them and like they are my people, you know? <laughs> so that's always kind of the angle that I come from. So I'm really glad mm. that we're we're kind of utilizing that today and coming from that lens. You know, I think it's so important for us to take that angle because even when it comes to parenting, we can give as much as, you know, all this advice and, and read all these books and these studies. But in the end, every child is so different and unique. And we mm-hmm. need to really take time to get to know our child, even if they're a baby, get to know what their interests are and get to know what their strengths are and where they need more support. And that's why I think this is such an important conversation because, you know, I I think also in society, sometimes there's certain language around children and I kind of, I I like, I just that I cringe a bit because I, I realize that we, we've, we don't have to tower over children and, and, you know, look at it that way where we're, we are guiding them and supporting them, but we're, not doing it above them, we're doing it with them, we're doing it hand in hand, and we're guiding them in life. And I really think that you, you show that so beautifully on your on your Instagram page. You had such a beautiful story where you spoke about how you help parents who are have a child having a meltdown or big emotions in public, and you offer them a, a little object. I think I'd like to start there with you because <laughs> sometimes I, I see people in stores and their child is having a hard time, and you see those glares from people <laughs> kind of like well they're some are judging and, and some might not know what to do in that moment and some might want to help yeah. so what do you do in that moment when you do see a child with really big emotions in in public I will preface this to say this is easier said than done because it. it is really awkward to approach yeah anyone that you don't <laughs> you don't know in public <laughs> but um if I hear or see a child having a really hard time in a store and I end up being able to find a little window of connection with the parent. I always carry around a couple of different little toys. I, there, I have some little plastic dinosaurs, but because those are a choking hazard for kids under three, I also carry around some like little wooden um, figures that are that are bigger. Um, I usually just keep two or three of each of those in my bag or my purse, whatever mm-hmm. I have with me. And I'll just quietly walk up to the parent and say, hey, you're doing a great job. I can tell they're having a really hard time. Listen, I keep these little like toys in my bag. Would they maybe want one? Do you think that would help? And I I always approach the parent first, obviously for all the reasons. And some parents are very adamantly opposed to that. Mm -hmm. They'll say like, no. And I I don't know if that's, I don't want to reward, reward their bad behavior or what, but yeah, I get some like very awkward no's and And then I have some parents that are like, that is the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me. Thank you so much. I got it. And either is okay with me. Like I know going into it that it's not always going to get the best Mm -hmm. (laughs) response, but, but it all came from, uh, I used to travel a lot and being in airports and stuff and seeing these kids just get 
sometimes quite literally dragged around <laughs> everywhere and just having the hardest time, especially on yeah. planes and seeing the re- reactions mm-hmm. of other people, like you were saying, getting frustrated and just wanting so desperately to be able to step in and support them and their caregiver, but not knowing how to do that in a way that wasn't like shaming the parent. I, I didn't want to shame the parent. I didn't want to embarrass them. I just more wanted to show support for their kid. And again, because it's a kid mm. first approach, it's a little bit more disarming, I think, than, hey, wow, that's a, uh, can I step in here and try some, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, uh, so that's what I do. I just carry around these little, little toys and it's, you know, a super cheap yeah. way to mm. be able to support families if they, if they are open to that. I think it's it's so wonderful because a part of what I do with Kirsten Ron is first, I think we need to nurture ourselves as parents. Then we need to nurture our child. And then thirdly, we need to nurture each other. And I think that's what the community part is where mm-hmm. we are, we're all doing our best. And, and just the fact that this, you know, a stranger in a store could come up to us and say like, hey, do you need a little bit of help? Because mm-hmm. we might, we don't know what that parent's day was like, right? We might be at our last thread of trying to support our child, which is normal. We don't expect parents to be able to handle everything every single big emotion that their child has. But just the fact that it's non-judgmental and coming, like you said, to help the child and help the parent. Yeah. And it's interesting that not all receive it the same way, but I, I could understand that because maybe in that moment of heat and like of, of frustration and anger, maybe a parent's just like, let me like let me do it the way that I do it. Yes. Um, uh-huh. But then I think on the other end also, we can talk about what those big emotions are and and how you look at these big emotions in kids because mm. like you said sometimes it's deemed or labeled as bad behavior that we can't keep feeding right because the child will do it again yeah um, but I don't think you look at it that way no I definitely don't well and in most of these scenarios right yeah. I'm watching this happen for children in spaces that are not made for them mm. <laughs> it's in grocery it's stores mm. in airports where they most likely did not have a choice of whether or not they're going to be there. Like I always start there. Like I can't imagine that this child was asked if they preferred to go to the grocery yeah, store today. True, And that's okay. Like you can't always do that. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm always seeing the child and, and sort of coming from that assumption that like, they probably don't want to be here and they probably didn't get asked whether or not they wanted to be here. And And that's just a reality sometimes of being a little kid, Mm. but that doesn't mean it doesn't suck. (laughs) That's awful. Uh, You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to be just dragged around town everywhere with, without any say Mm. of where we're going, what time we're going to be able to say, I'd rather be going to do this instead and not getting that option, like to not have options. Mm -hmm. Like there's so few options in the life of a child. So I want to at least let them know that they're seen and to say like, Mm -hmm. I get it, kid sucks. Yeah. It sucks to be here when you didn't ask to be here, but Mm -hmm. here's something to make it a little more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. That's all that's, that's all it is, you know, but that's, that's always the perspective I'm coming from. Yeah. And I think you touched a lot, a lot on what research says where our child has to feel seen and Mm -hmm. it's not about, you know, having these limits and boundaries, but also showing the sensitivity and the empathy towards your child. And, you know, if you have to go to the airport or you have to be somewhere at a certain time, of course, we need to leave the house. But if you see your child and you're connected to them and you realize, like you said, this sucks. Like, I don't want to leave right now. I was playing with my trucks and now I have to get in the car. If we take a moment in that really difficult, challenging moment of a child 
having these big emotions and not wanting to come and resisting and realize, yeah, they were playing with their trucks five minutes ago and now I have to get them in the car and they don't want to. So if we take a moment to really step back and see this world from our child's eyes, then we get it that, yeah, you know what, kid? (laughs) This really sucks, but we have to go to the doctor's office or we have to get into the car right now. Um, And that's what I think... I, I really mm-hmm. hope parents can get from this episode is is just understanding if we take a second yeah. to be in their shoes, we'll get it. It's not a fun world. <laughs> they're in our world. Yes. They're kids, but they're in our world. Yes. And we ha- they can't be in their world all the time. And we're telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, eating, everything, all of that. It's so hard. All day, every day. I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. Well, and, and I will say, being really present to the experiences of the kids in my life, mm-hmm when we do have to get something done that maybe they don't really want to do, they're much more apt to Mm. collaborate and cooperate Mm. because they know we're on a team here. I know you don't want to do this, but because they have felt so seen and so connected, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just less of a fight. And it's just a human thing. Like, of course, you're going to be more willing to work with and collaborate with and cooperate with a person Mm. that you feel truly cares about you and truly sees Mm. and understands Mm. your experience of the world. That's just a human thing. That's also why I always am like, kids are human beings. Mm -hmm. And most people are like, yeah, no, we know that. And I'm like, no, but but kids are human beings. Like, just think about it that way as often as you can. Mm -hmm. The golden rule. How would I want to be treated Mm -hmm. in this moment? How would I treat Mm -hmm. my best friend in this moment? Even the big emotions. I, sometimes I bring the tantrums up and I compare it to adults. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? But we, <laughs> I know some people that have kind of like adult tantrums. And we have to realize that even myself, there will be moments where you have these big emotions, big emotions that are not controlled, that you say something to someone that you regret and you're like, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> I should have kept that to myself. But you were in a heated moment where your your emotions, part of the brain, just isn't speaking to the frontal lobe, the, the planning part and the, yep. the rational part saying, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yep. But we've done that. But then when our children do it, it's bad behavior. But when we do it, it's like we expect um, empathy, you know, like I had a bad day and I just, yeah. you know, that's why it's so important to see kids as humans. <laughs> They're, yes. They they want to be treated the same way that we want to be treated. And I love that you brought up thinking of how to treat others or our best friend, because when we do it that way, we might not pull our best friend by the arm um, to right. bring them where they have to go. We'll use our words. Um, we won't call our best friends a pest or a brat or mm-hmm. a bad kid or a bad friend. We will express what we want from them. And we need to do the same with our kids. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. 100% to everything you said. We need to treat our kids really like humans. And the more we start doing that, the more we'll see that, of course, there will be moments of resistance. Of course, there will be moments of impulsivity because their brain is still developing, but they want the same respect. So I'm like in the middle of prepping this talk about helping children build social and emotional skills. And so much of it is showing them Mm. that they are safe with their big feelings. And the only way to do that is to be able to be present to those big feelings. And the only way to do that, (laughs) to be able to be present to their big feelings is to be able to accept your own big feelings and have empathy and sympathy for yourself in those big feeling moments. And the problem for a lot of people, myself included, is that that's not really how 
that wasn't our experience growing up exactly to feel safe mm. with those things. So it's really hard. And that's why the reparenting mm. movement is so big because we're having to do all this internal work to be able to be present to our kids in a way that mm. feels good for everyone that is healthy, yeah. that promotes de- the development of these skills that we really want to be able to see in our kids. That's the hardest part. Yeah, that, yeah. that's the hard. It's the mm. hardest part. And it's taking responsibility and ownership of your own yeah. stuff, like your own past, your own trauma, your own childhood and dealing with all of that. And it's messy, messy, difficult, emotionally draining work. It is. But I was going to say too, and maybe you can clarify this. My understanding is that through things like co-regulation, which is, which is the the practical output of Mm -hmm. being present to your child's big emotions, right? Being able to help them to, to regulate by co-regulating. Isn't that part of what helps their brain to wire, to be able to then do that later for themselves. Exactly. And that starts in infancy, right? So a baby's crying and you pick them up, you are co-regulating, you're calm for them and their stress hormones are rising up if they've been crying for a long period of time. And their brain is saying, okay, am I safe? Mm. Is is anything wrong? Or whatever it is, that's the reason why they're crying. We don't understand why they're crying at that moment, but just holding them and being calm with them, all of a sudden, all the stress hormones go back down and the brain feels rewarded. So part of that whole system is the reward system. And man, does it feel good when somebody gives you a hug and you have these big emotions whether you're two days old or I don't know 38 <laughs> like yeah, I am. a hug course. feels good right like you feel seen and you are calmer mm. so when a child is growing up and you calm them and you co-regulate as they're two three four five years old it's so soothing for the system and rewarding and the brain learns how to do it eventually on its own so yes. we they need us they need yes, us to do yes, that yes yes yeah absolutely you touched on the parenting part and ourselves. So mm-hmm. for me, when I started Curious Neuron many years ago, it was all about the science of child development, only child development. And I thought that's what parents needed to hear. I had my first child and I kept that model. I had my second child. I started realizing that we needed to speak about parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then as I had my third child and then after I, you know, got to know the audience, I realized how much we needed to focus on the parents. Yep. And this is something that you you spoke of, because if our child is having these big emotions or emotions that we're not comfortable with, we're going to struggle with that. Um, what sort of advice do you offer parents? Because I, I see it from my end in terms of the science where you spoke about the co-regulation mm-hmm. part. But if somebody's not comfortable with their emotions and, and hasn't learned how to regulate their own, what sort of advice do you offer parents? I love the practice of mantras. So I was just talking to a client um, a couple of days ago who was talking about how triggered she feels by her child's words in particular, but his like big kind of explosive moments. Mm. And she traced it back to sort of her past and some of her experiences growing up. And I, I just pause the conversation. And I said, you are safe. You are safe. So to repeat that something like that, to to find a mantra that helps bring you back Mm. to a grounded state of knowing that you are capable and that you are safe. You're safe with your big feelings, whatever your fear is around them. Like my fear, for example, is disconnection. I have a deep fear of disconnection from the people that I love the most. And so to bring myself to a state of you are safe, you are not disconnected. And because you are safe, then you can be the safe place for your kids. I also love the mantra, and this is my personal one, is I get to choose. 
because it makes me feel really powerful to know that I get to choose how I'm going to respond in this moment. I get to choose whether I'm going Mm -hmm. to react or respond, (laughs) but it's my choice. I get to choose that. And what's great about that is that on the days where I Mm. lose sight of my own ability to choose in those moments, I get to start the next day over Mm. fresh because every day is a whole new set of choices. So, all right, cool. Well, today, yesterday, I did not choose that. Don't love that. And it also allows me to stay in a mode of responsibility for myself too. I don't get to blame it on other people. I chose to respond that way. Mm. So, okay. How am I going to choose to live out my life today? How am I going to choose to show, how am I going to choose to show up in the world? for my kids, for my partner. Um, and that's a powerful one for me because using my voice has been a struggle for me. So, <laughs> so when kids use their voice, it's often very triggering for me. And so to remind myself that your voice matters, you get to choose how you show up in the world is really helpful for me. So the practical tool of mantras mm. and like saying it every day, every morning, every night, just so that it's always sort of in the forefront of your mind. You start your day with that knowing and you end your day with that reminder. I love that. I, I had never looked at it that way in terms of mantras, but saying the safe part is something I had learned through therapy that just by saying that to yourself. So our big emotions and reactions is our brain going into like fight or flight. And depending on what our childhood looked like, mm-hmm. um, if there's trauma, and even if there isn't trauma, but some sort of adversity or something that happened that maybe led to a stress system developing a little differently, then a moment of like loud noises even, or your child acting a certain way or saying certain things to you, or something that happened before that, that brought your stress system a little higher and you don't even realize, then your child drops a glass of milk and you lose it. But it's because you might've had an argument with someone before and Mm -hmm. you didn't feel seen. And that was your trigger point. But then Mm -hmm. this was your over the edge point, right? With the spilled spilled milk. Um, But the more we take time to think about what happened or work, do the work in terms of what happened in our past, we'll respond a lot better with our kids. Yeah. With regards to the mantra, I've never used that, but I, I tell parents to create a space between the, their child's action and their reaction. Mm-hmm. And having a mantra in that space is perfect yeah. because you have time to think, to remind yourself that you're safe, like you said, and and then respond. Like I love the the one about choice because you do have a choice in how you react it's like the book what would danny do have you seen that one i don't think so it's for early elementary school um i would say four years or five years old and older you choose throughout his day so for example his brother uses his favorite plate Mm -hmm. and it says like what would danny do and there there are two choices he could either get mad and like toss the, his brother's plate to the floor and the pancakes are all over the place or he could accept it and say you know what tomorrow I'll have it so you choose the page and then that changes the path of the story yeah. depending on what happens my kids they like to also make him do the things that you wouldn't want him to mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, the sure. opposite right so <laughs> they'd like to see that but then they also realized that you do have a choice so we're mm-hmm. teaching that to our kids but we have to realize that the same thing applies to us i love that that actually reminded me mm-hmm. of when i was a kid my great grandparents lived near the beach and we would go down there every summer multiple times a summer and my favorite thing to do while i was at their house was my great grandmother had this collection of old like novels and stuff mm-hmm. most of which were like dirty romance novels <laughs> She had like a handful of choose your own adventure books that are what you're saying. They're, you know, these chapter books 
but you get to at the end of every chapter choose kind of where it goes or they're broken up into sections but I loved those books I, I love that even going back to our childhood and the work for myself you know the way that we are and even the way that we parent you know we have to put thought into what our past look like and for myself what's interesting is I've joined something called groups it's it's this online platform and you're like a group of 10 people and you chat about a certain topic whether it's relationships or self-care or parenting and I'm, I've been really enjoying these because sometimes you start realizing, oh, yeah, that applies to this or this applies to that. And it's led by an expert or a therapist. They're guiding the conversation and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And one thing that stood out and I just started like bawling, like <laughs> crying in the middle of it, which we all do. It's part of it. Um, but the, the therapist had followed Kirstner on and, and knew like the work that I was doing. She's like, you're really nurturing I was like, yeah, I love doing that. And then she made the link to my past and how the nurturing wasn't there. But mm-hmm. my mom wasn't nurtured by her mom. And then my mom didn't know how to nurture. She you knows she provided the care, the house, the food, but the extra that wasn't there. And now I just want to like take all the parents and all the kids <laughs> and just like hug everybody and be with them. And so when we make that link, it's it's so important. I'm bringing up this story because I'm curious from your end. I know you mentioned your past, but you are so uh, being such an amazing advocate for children how what from the past if you want to talk about it kind of led to this well it's a more recent past it's not necessarily from my childhood but about six or seven years ago I had a job actually at a church uh, here in town but I suddenly found myself actually in charge of a whole program I was hired as an assistant for the children's program and then suddenly found myself in charge of all of it. Um, What I started to do at that job was to write curriculum. And I had a lot of experience up to that point with Mm -hmm. sort of just curriculum that comes in a box, like already done Mm -hmm. for you. And when I started to try to write curriculum myself, I realized how difficult it was to, in that particular work, like distill Mm -hmm. these big ideas down to children in a way that took into account who they were as people developmentally. Like, cause I was writing curriculum for kids from three years old to fifth grade. And I was finding myself like having to do a lot of work. It was really fun. But I also, when I started to look back at some of the old curriculum or some of the stuff that just comes kind of boxed and done for you, I started to realize that what so many of the resources were doing was sort of taking these really big stories that were not intended for kids ever and slapped a bunch of glitter on it and <laughs> put in a craft and a game and called it a kid's lesson. And I was like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> like, this is not at all like helpful or considerate of, of this entire demographic of, of people of this particular community. Like, So I took that really, really seriously, that work of writing this curriculum. And then once I started seeing Mm. sort of the disparity there in like this written curriculum, I started kind of seeing it everywhere. Mm. Like suddenly, like I would go to a public restroom and realize kids can't reach the sinks. Mm. What are we doing? Like, why can't kids reach the sinks in a public bathroom? Why would we not build it so that they can access it, you know? And And then it just kept going and going and going and going and going. Mm. And so, so the, the sort of advocacy part of, of all of it just sort of happened naturally out of some of the work I was already doing Mm. and then just started again, seeing it everywhere, which back to the earlier conversation, Mm. so many of our public spaces aren't actually accessible or built with children in mind, even though they make up a large demographic of our society. I get it. Um, there, there's accessibility laws in place for 
all kinds of demographics of people, people with disabilities, but children, not, not so much. Other countries do it really well, but at least in the States, there's just such a deep lack of, I think, consideration of kids when we're, when we're building these structures and creating systems. And And I know, and it's the same here. You're right. We don't, we haven't, they're part of the world, but we haven't really included them in, in, in thinking about how we structure things. And even the curriculum, the school curriculum, I, I don't know how it is in the States, but here in Canada, it is not developmentally appropriate. And that could be a conversation oh, <laughs> on its truly. own because it's just doesn't it does not match what we know and as a four or five years old we're expecting kids to be sitting down in a classroom um for long periods of time Mm -hmm. and then parents will ask me so what's the attention span of a child i'm like well four-year-old maybe maybe six minutes eight minutes you know and if they're interested longer of course but you can't expect them We're, we're putting them in an adult world right away yes yes and it it you can't do that it's just and you can, but it's being done. Oh, it's the same here. It's the exact same here. Yeah. It, they're expected to do things developmentally that are completely inappropriate and unrealistic. Yeah. And ultimately hinder learning. That's what's so wild about it is like, yes, really ultimately yeah. what we end up teaching children, I think in the education system at large is how to follow rules and how to get a particular grade on a thing. Yes. And that's Mm -hmm. it. We're not teaching them how to learn, how to be curious, how to wonder about things. It's none of that really. When you start to, when you take a step back and assess Mm -hmm. the whole system kind of from a, you know, at a, at a 50 foot view, it's missing that thing that really does enhance learning and, and inspires kids to learn about things. Like none of that really exists. And that's a whole other podcast episode. (laughs) It is. I know. But, you know, and, and then if we keep the child in mind, then we end up, because of the way the system is formed, then we end up with kids who are in early elementary school or mid-elementary school, and they are struggling because yes. they are not motivated anymore. They don't want to do their homework. All it is, is homework to get the grade. And yes. it's not the way it's supposed to be, it, it, according to research. It's, it shouldn't be like that. You know, over the holidays, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she works in human resources. And what was coming up was their yearly assessment or evaluation. And she decided to completely abolish the whole system of grading uh, an employee on one to 10. And this led to a huge conversation about kids and learning in school. Yes. Because she said that grown adults were coming into her office and saying, okay, what's my grade this year? And she goes, you know what? There's no grade this year. And they were looking at her so happy and relieved. And they're like, what do you mean there's no grade? And she's like, here were your goals last year. You you reached or met these goals and these ones you didn't. How can I support you? Yes. Blown away. The pe- adults were blown away. Now let's take that <laughs> and apply it to a four, five, six-year-old, or let's just say six, seven, eight, actually, because they won't have exams earlier. But a young child who is just leaving the world mm-hmm. of play and and actually they're not leaving the world of play. Play has been taken away. Yes. That's another. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. Let's talk about that after. Okay, let's remember <laughs> that. But now they're sitting in the classroom mm-hmm. and they have to perform well every day and they have to sit down and they have to listen. And, and well, of course they have to listen, but I'm saying for long periods of time. And then they're getting a grade and then they're being told they're not good enough. But adults respond so well to it. So why aren't we changing the the school system so that kids are learning more in terms of here's where you did well on Mm -hmm. and here's where you need support. Yeah. How about we do that with parenting? How about we do that with everything for our kids? The, the challenge is that the entire world is set up on a reward system. Mm. Like everywhere you look, it's if you do this, you'll get this. Like 
we'll reward you with this. We'll treat you with this. Like it's everywhere. So it feels like such an uphill battle to try to sort of get that message across at least at the very least Mm -hmm. to, to, to parents and families and caregivers to say like, this doesn't actually benefit your child in the way that you think that it does. It it also leads to at least Mm -hmm. um, in uh, permission to feel by uh, Mark Brackett. Have you read that book? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. I'm ready. So good. Permission to feel. (laughs) Yes. Highly recommend this book, but he, he's done the work actually to go into schools to help implement a social emotional learning Mm -hmm. um, curriculum or sort of um, guide to how they're operating within our classroom. It's been like transformational in some of these schools, but he talks about how the research shows that the longer children are in a traditional education system, the lower their levels of social and emotional health. Like it affects more than just learning. It affects everything about who they are as people. And if you think about it, they're in school for eight plus hours a day, constantly being told what to think, how to learn, um, what they're worth based on their grades, right? Like literally numbering them, giving them numbers to value their work and to value their minds. And yeah, I know. Ugh, I, I could go on and on forever about that, Cindy, but yeah, it, it's not healthy ultimately for our kids yeah. to be operating within a system of punishments and rewards like that. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't help their learning. Yeah. And even with young kids, when it comes to behavior with what we know and what we try to educate parents on and and educators, you know, especially with something like sensory sensitivity, I have another Mm -hmm. friend of mine who has a child with these sensitivities. And, you know, the other day, the child hit another child in in a gymnasium, but they were in snowsuits and they had been Mm -hmm. there for a very long time. So the child was very hot. And then another child got in this particular child's face and he had no more words left to use because he was overheated. He was overwhelmed. The lights from the gymnasium were too strong and he used his body and he, he pushed or shoved or hit the other yeah. child and he got in trouble and he was called a bad kid by a teacher. <sighs> and luckily the principal came in, everybody left to go play outside and the principal, sh- tur- she turned the lights off and yeah. she knew of his sensitivities. And that comes back to everything that you talk about. If we can just take a moment to understand that child, because he came home and said, mommy, why am I bad? He's mm-hmm. not bad. And, and we need to change that language. Gosh, yes. That mom knows. But now it's been done. He, he has a label. We cannot label kids as shy or bad or brats or whatever it is. It's not going to help them in any way. Well, and it, it ultimately doesn't help us. It doesn't make our lives easier either because you're not. Mm-hmm. None of those labels require any curiosity about who that other person Mm. is. It's a way for you to categorize Mm. another person so that you don't have to think about why it is that they do X, Y, and Z. You just get Mm. to say, I don't like it, put them in a category and basically just throw up your hands and say, nothing I can do about it. They're just a bad kid. All that does is pull yourself out of a space of having to be responsible to truly care for them and truly see them as another person and takes yourself out of a role of responsibility to actually make some shifts and changes to be able to work with that other person. And again, it's just another person. Like it's just another person with particularities with other wiring in their brain or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just another person. Like, just they're just a person and 
it's, I don't know. I I say that and I keep thinking like, it's just that simple. And I know that it's not just that simple, but it is in some ways, like (laughs) they're just a person. And and curiosity, I love that your, your presence (laughs) on social media is all around curiosity. Like Mm. that is the key to everything. Mm. It is the key to knowing your child. It is the key to finding solutions that work for your child so that you're not constantly in this mode of being annoyed that they're a bad kid or shy Mm. or whatever. Like you don't actually have to feel that way, but you Mm. do have to get curious so that you can find different solutions and different ways of seeing them. Mm. Um, and that's work. And where is that where you would say the shift has to happen right now in society with parenting? Is it just the work on us or is there more to be able to shift so that we can really see? And I know it's weird to say this, that we could see children as human. We we know mm-hmm. that, but we're not implementing it in, in the way that the world functions and the way that we're parenting. So right. where should the shift begin or what, what, what do you think is first? Yeah, I, I think given that parents are their child's first friend, first mentor, first example of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that it has to start there. I think that it's, I think that it is best and makes the most sense for it to start at home. So whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a step parent or whatever for the children in your life, it matters for you to do this work for yourself so that you can show up not only in a way that serves them best, but also like in a way that's actually true to who you are and, and your capacity as a human to show empathy and to be safe with your own feelings so that you can be a support for others. Like there, it, this is not just work so that you can be a better mom or be a better grandma. Like this is work so that you can be a more conscious, healthy human at the end of the day. Like this is self-work. It's self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens to also benefit literally everyone else in your life, <laughs> including your kids. And, mm-hmm. and to show them like that it matters to work on yourself, that it, to show them that it, there's so much value in being self-reflective. Isn't that what we hope for? You know, sometimes parents ask how to develop resilience in their kids, but that's where it'll come, Absolutely. right? If we continue to show them that we might've had a bad moment, but here's a conversation we're having around it, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm struggling with this, you know, here's a conversation around that and here's how I'm growing from it. This is what I, you know, I'm working on it myself. That's what will lead to that resilience. Yes. Um, in your child because you modeled it to them you showed them that not everything is easy and that you'll have behaviors and experiences that you have to work on but you need to to be open about that with them yeah and it doesn't matter if they're young they understand yes in permission to feel by dr mark brackett he talks about resilient the idea of resilience and resilience isn't Mm. it isn't going through a hard time and getting through it it is being supported while you are going through a hard Mm. time. And so back to our conversation, in order to be a support for your child in a hard time, you have to have done this work to be able to be present to them. It's co-regulation. It's, it's, it's making space for those big Mm -hmm. feelings. When your child is having a hard time, the way to build their resilience is to support them in that because it builds the wiring in their brain to be able to support themselves in the future. It's literally does. It's all so connected, but resilience Mm -hmm. is not, Oh, kids are tough. They'll get through it. It's kids are having a tough time. I want to be there as a support for them as they experience this. I think Dr. Bruce Perry mentions that. So you you talked about resilience and like kids are resilient. They'll get through this tough time. And there was a lot of that language too, I find at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. And 
uh, I don't know if you've read What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry. Mm -hmm. he, he talks a lot about the past and, and how your ch like childhood adversities and how that impacts your stress system, reward, everything that I spoke about before. But he talks about the fact that we, we tend to, if we're uncomfortable with something, let's say the, the early pandemic, and we're nervous about what the outcome might be, he said, we tend to say, but kids will be okay. We, we tend to minimize it for them, yes. but we're really worried about it. And because we can't put that sort of onus on them, we have to mm -hmm. realize that they might not be okay. And we need to now, right away, give them that support. So if something is happening in your home um, and, you know, you might say, well, my baby's only two and something, you know, things are, are not easy right now in the home. There's a lot of arguing. There might be some physical or emotional abuse. Th they won't know anything. Th they're, they're resilient. They'll get past it. All of that kind of language leads to you not offering the support that your child needs and what they need if they did experience things like that in their early childhood is is connection with a human, yes. connection with you or somebody who's able to offer them the emotional support that they, they need and then they'll be okay, yes. but not just kind of letting it go and saying they'll be fine. That gets back to the comment about kids are humans. It's the assumption that because they are not having my experience of this thing, they aren't experiencing it at all. But they are a person having that experience. Like yeah. they are still a human yeah. being in this world that is in lockdown. And like mm. the 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 mm. difference is that they don't have the language to be able to articulate what they're feeling in the midst of it. They don't have people who exactly. see their struggle. Yeah. Like how much worse of an experience is that as opposed to us who can call up our friend and be like, yeah. man, this is stressing me out. I am overwhelmed. I am sad. I'm depressed. I'm whatever. Mm. Kids don't even have that, but yeah. they're still having the experience. And so again, like to see mm -hmm. them as humans having an experience always at all times. And mm -hmm. I think definitely it's always very like, I'll use the word dangerous for lack of a better word, but I think it's dangerous to assume that kids don't see or hear what's going on ever. Like they see and hear everything. Yeah. It is literally how they are building their brain. Like they have everything. to, it's a survival mechanism. Like yeah. I have to be aware of everything going on around me because mm -hmm. I'm learning how to move around in this world. I'm learning how to exist. I'm just now, yeah. I've just now gotten here and mm -hmm. I have to learn how to exist. So they see and hear everything. So mm -hmm. never assume that they don't and always assume that they are having an experience too of what's happening around them. And how can you then, of course, you know, be present to that and be a support for them? And and that's when it also comes back to us, right? Because if we're not comfortable bringing up a certain conversation, if something happened to them at school and we don't know what to say to them or we don't know how to approach it, then we kind of avoid it. And we're like, yeah, they'll be fine. You know, it doesn't matter that somebody called right. them a bad name or that the teacher said he's a bad kid. Right. They'll be fine. He'll get over it. He'll forget about it tomorrow. But by not asking the child, like, how do you feel about that? Or are you yeah. okay? Do you want to talk about it? I guess around those sort of difficult situations, if a parent doesn't know what to do, what sort of advice would you give them if they're they're not even sure how to approach it or how to see the child in that moment? Approach them like your friend. Mm. If your friend had gone through this, how would you bring it up? Mm. Like, And it may be as casual and chill as like, dude, what's up with that? It's true. Tell me about yeah. like. Just yeah. talk to them like a person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, I, I think that I think the fear and the anxiety comes around like a. I have to have the answers to this, which you don't. Like a diagnosis too, right? That could be hard. Yeah, for a child, yeah. And you yeah. might not know what to say, and that's okay. Yeah. And B, if your friend were having a hard time, if your friend had experienced whatever it is, what would you say to your friend? Are you yeah. okay? Like, what can I do? What do you need? And 
again, they may not even be able to tell you, but I think that you being present to it matters. It's better than not bringing it up at all. But yeah, if you're worried about it, if you're nervous about the conversation, I, I, and I feel this too, because I worry that it's going to cause conflict and that that means that we're going to be disconnected. So I have to get, I have to know that in myself and say, I'm safe and then approach it Mm. like a pal. I'm safe. I'm okay. I didn't have this experience. You did. So I'm just going to come to be with you. I don't Mm. have to take on (laughs) all of your feelings. Your feelings are yours and that's okay because I'm safe in mine and I can be present to yours. (laughs) Yeah. What sort of advice would would you give a parent who's been listening to this conversation and say like, okay, you know what? I think I'm realizing now through this conversation that I wasn't really seeing my child from their world and seeing what they needed from me. What are the first steps now? Um, I know that it's going to be working on yourself, but what sort of language are you hoping that they take on with their child or any tips that you offer parents? Yeah. I mean, I think practically speaking, finding yourself a mantra, a phrase, something that you can keep in front of you and say to yourself every morning and every night that helps you to, that helps bring you back to this perspective, this mindset Mm -hmm. of seeing your child as a person. So that might be something like I am safe or I get to choose, which puts yourself in that position of remembering like, nope, okay, I'm, I'm good. I can be present to my child, or maybe it's something specifically about your child. Mm-hmm. You know, so-and-so is a person having an experience. Maybe that's what your yeah, mantra is. Whatever it is that you need to bring yourself back mm-hmm. to that, that mindset. Great. Do that practically. Um, and then uh, I would say practice curiosity, mm-hmm. like before you respond, before you react, take a breath, li- <laughs> physically take yeah. a breath. Yes. Like just, if you feel yourself starting to say something, stop, take a breath and then just get curious Mm. first. And I don't mean ask your kid, why did you do that? I mean, ask yourself, why did they Mm. do that? What's happening around here that would have caused that to happen? What's happening with them that's, that might've caused that to happen. Just take a beat and get really curious about your own reaction Mm -hmm. (laughs) and about what has just Mm. happened. But that those two practices, I think having a mantra that you can say to yourself and keep in front of you and the practice of taking a beat, just literally stopping and not saying a word <laughs> is so hard, powerful. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so, it's hard. so hard. Yes. But practice it in the moments, like practice it in moments that aren't like super mm-hmm. triggering, that aren't that that don't have your your amygdala yeah, firing yeah. so hard. Like, <laughs> you know, if if your kid is just like eating their green beans really slowly, like maybe just like instead of like, Hey, can you hurry it up (laughs) in that moment where you're not so triggered? Maybe why am I so insistent on them hurrying up? Like I feel them wanting to rush. Why do I want that? Like just in the moments that aren't so difficult for now, try it then so that you get some practice in so that when they are triggering, you have that under your belt, you have those pathways started to being started to carve out, you know, and, and practice that. But that example that you, you just mentioned, even with the, the like, why am I stressing my child to hurry up? It might be because you're leaving and you have to go to work and you have something to do and it's on yeah. your brain. It's on your mind. Or you want them to hurry up and eat dinner because you're tired and you want to relax at the end of the day. And that's OK. But when you're mindful of it and realizing that you're snapping and or saying things at your child and putting them in a, a situation of like not they're not seen and they don't feel like you understand that they just want to eat slowly today but we're doing it because we want something else we're not realizing so taking that moment to really 
get in tune with ourselves, then we're able to say, I don't need to, I'm, you know, I just said it. I'm sorry. You can take your time. (laughs) Yes. And how beautiful to be aware of the things that you actually want for yourself. Yes, exactly. That's self-care. Yes. That is self-care because then you start building maybe a different routine in your home to be able to meet that need. Yes. Like that's what I'm saying. Like when you get curious, all these other solutions start to present themselves that you would have never found otherwise because you weren't wondering about why things are the way they are. You were just accepting Mm -hmm. it. It is the same as labeling Mm -hmm. a kid. It's throwing your hands up and saying, this is just the way that it is, but it's not, Mm -hmm. it -hmm. doesn't actually have to be that way. And you get to choose. Mm -hmm. You get to, you are that powerful and that amazing (laughs) and that capable. You get to choose everything. It's beautiful. So yeah, I love, I love that. I'm I'm glad you brought that Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. You know, I'm going to bring it to the other side before we end our conversation. The other side is there's some parents that feel that authoritarian parenting where you're just really, you know, we're there to tell them what the rules are and that's it. There's nothing more than that to parenting. It still exists. You know, I posted about even physical punishment and spanking and all that this week and it became a really big conversation on the platform. Oh, yeah. um, Because it's very present and some people say as long as you do it with love, then it's okay. So let's just flip the conversation a bit to the other side to be in their shoes, these parents who feel that they were raised a certain way and we don't need all this mumble jumble stuff of feeling the child and and seeing them we don't need that my parents didn't raise me that way what would we say to them to try to help them understand how important this is I mean honestly that is the biggest challenge for me (laughs) well because it's my challenge as well it's it's all of our challenges because it doesn't matter what information I put out there even if it's research I will get parents say It doesn't matter that research shows that, you know, physical punishment can lead to possibilities of higher instances of mental health, that there are negative consequences. It doesn't matter if I put research out there that says you need to be attuned and sensitive to your child's needs. Mm -hmm. There are groups of parents that they're just going to continue with the way that they were raised and they turned out fine. Or there are groups of parents that within a couple, one understands that you have to see your child and the other one doesn't. And then the third group is Mm -hmm. our parents who are following what we spoke about today, but their in-laws or their parents want to continue mm-hmm. the way that they parented. So there's a lot of headbutting around that as well, yes. saying, why would you change the way we parented you? So I think it's really important that we finish the conversation that way. Because yes. Even if we don't have an answer, I, I always try to put myself in their shoes and I, I, I want to show empathy yeah. because maybe you think that's the only way to parent, but there's so much more out there and your child needs you. They need to feel seen. Mm -hmm. I I can't think of anything else but that because I want to feel seen as an adult. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I think that at the end of the day, the best we can do is to show people what it looks like to do this work. So for the parent who's like, well, I spanked my kid and I turned out fine. I would want to practice what I preach and be very curious about why they're so insistent on doing this and what is driving yeah. that dedication mm-hmm. to continuing this way of parenting. Are they just so overwhelmed with everything else in their life that they don't feel they have the time or capacity to do this kind of work because it is a lot yeah, of work. And maybe, maybe those mm-hmm. are the people who actually recognize just how much work this is and are yeah, just it could saying yeah. they're not willing to do, they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's a starting point. So just to get really curious about those people too, in, in the same way that you would with a kid, in the same way that you would with your own behavior, to be really curious about why they're so committed to that. And to also 
like you said, as best you can to show them empathy or to just model what it looks like to have empathy for someone with a different view. Like, I am sorry that you had that experience growing up, but I'm glad that you feel good about yourself. But this challenge also of applying everything you said today, I think give it like give it one week, just one week of applying everything you said and approaching it with curiosity, having these mantras of allowing yourself to, you know, you could tell yourself you're safe or you have a choice or whatever it is, just do it for one week. If you don't believe that it's important and if you see a difference in your child, and I would think there would be in a week. When I used to work privately with kids, a week is enough of your parents showing up and when you feel seen by them, yes. a week is enough. <laughs> yes, I, I think you're totally right, especially because their brains are still so plastic, mm-hmm. right? They're still wiring up. So when you give them a different wiring or a different reason for wiring differently, yeah, I mean, you're right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't take that much time to shift things. Now it's important to be consistent with it. Yeah. Always really careful to say like, this is not a tactic to get your kids to be Mm. a certain way. This is a way of relating to another person. This is a way of showing Mm. up consciously to relate to another person Mm -hmm. in a genuine and loving way. This is a lifetime's Mm -hmm. work. This is a whole shift in the way that you show up in your home and for your kids. It's getting over the hump of it. It's getting through the threshold of of digging all this stuff up and starting to examine it. Because once you start doing that, it becomes easier and easier and feels more and more natural and true to yourself when you're able to show up authentically for your kids and not as the parent you think you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You're showing up as a more authentic person Mm -hmm. who knows themselves more now. Like there's so much beauty to it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it becomes less and less difficult the more you practice this and the more you embody this way of, of existing in your home. And, and it does, it changes everything, changes the dynamic completely. Being our true uh, authentic self, I, what I've learned after having kids is they are the ones that I could be and, and my partner, but we can, yeah. they're the ones that I could be my true authentic self, my nerdy self that doesn't know how to dance, but I will dance to Mickey Mouse or whatever you give me. I would never, ever do that in front of anyone else but my kids. And if we could just allow ourselves to be that way with them and to open up and to feel so safe with mm-hmm. them, then they'll feel safe with us. Yes. What a nice way to kind of look at yes, it too. Yes, yes. Because again, like mm-hmm. this is just human work that we're doing. So mm-hmm. when we show mm-hmm. up as an authentic human, authentic meaning mm-hmm. we know ourselves, we feel safe in ourselves yes. and confident in yeah. ourselves and powerful in ourselves in like a healthy way. Yes. <laughs> um, we're taking, taking care of our mind mm-hmm. and body and spirit. We can show up authentically to these kids who don't know anything else, but to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, yeah, it's just this magic thing that happens. Like when mm-hmm. I'm able to let go of my preoccupations with like, well, I got to get this done and this done and this done. And I just set it aside and just mm-hmm. like play for 10 minutes with my partner's nine-year-old son, it is so much fun. And we laugh our heads off and it's a blast. But the second I start to let myself get pulled into all this other like stuff, mm-hmm. I get out of my body, out of my, my spirit and mind. <laughs> and I get into like task mode, yeah. like robot mode. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly get really annoyed with the play. Yeah. I believe it. It's a really interesting shift that I noticed because I used to get really frustrated because I work from home. So I used to get Mm. really frustrated when he would come up and ask me, like, are you going to have a break soon or can we play? And I would get so frustrated Mm. and annoyed by the play happening in the other room. Whereas when I built in time to just stop 
I still had to get stuff done, but I would yeah. build in time to stop yeah. to where I could truly walk away from, from that to just showing up and playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a complete shift. And it's okay to schedule it in, like you said, because yes. you do end up yes. being more present. You say, okay, I really need to get, you know, these tasks done around the house or for my work. But from this time to that time, and it doesn't have to be long, like you said, 10, 15 minutes, whatever you could afford in yes. terms of your day. But doing that at least once a day, your child, you'll notice, will feel comforted and seen and they'll continue playing longer on their own as well because yes. you'll have that connection with them. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. And it feels so good. It feels so good as an adult as well to not think of anything for 10 minutes. Yes. Right? Yes. Like I I, I I, love that moment. I love that. My kids are into drawing right now. I think I posted about it yesterday. I started yeah. drawing like flowers and chickens and whatever they asked me. But I found these accounts on Instagram and I just tried to draw them out. And it doesn't matter how weird the chicken looks or whatever it is, the rabbit. They're so excited. And I realized that we spent an hour like with three small kids, two, four and six yeah. year olds just drawing and coloring. And at the end of the day, I was like, wow, this was a really good day. Like I feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. I feel connected. I didn't think about work. And yeah, my house is a disaster. I have five loads of laundry on my bed. I slept under it because who cares? Because I had fun. Yes. <laughs> I had fun. Uh, I'm not the only one that does that. Yeah. Um, that's so common. I, I, well, okay, we'll yeah. get on that. But yes, laundry is a whole, a whole <laughs> task that I don't enjoy doing from start to finish. But we can let it get to us, right? Yeah. We can right. see the laundry we, or think of the laundry or look at our kitchen and realize I can't play right now. I need to go yes. wash the dishes. But in the end, take that 10 minutes to disconnect from everything. Yep. It's better for myself because I'm able to let go and it's better for a child. We're building such a beautiful relationship by doing yep. that. 100%. Mm. Mm. Where can we find you and where can we connect with you? I am on Instagram at Anna underscore skates. That's kind of my primary platform. I'm on TikTok as Miss Anna official. And you can <laughs> find me online at annaskates.co. Mm-hmm. And my email address is hello at annaskates.co. I started Otterly as a sort of platform and um, a, a way to help spread this message of kids are humans and they deserve respect. So uh, I've got uh, some resources there, some free resources through Otterly, some fun like shirts and merchandise and things there. Uh, that's on Instagram at otter.ly and online at otter.ly. I'll add all these links and connections on the page of on iTunes so that people can reach out to you. And I'm wondering, I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot now. Do you know what your, or do you know by heart your favorite uh, Mr. Rogers quote? What do you do with the mad that you feel? Which is such an interesting way to phrase that. And of course that came from a kid. <laughs> But I love that because anger is a secondary emotion, but it's an emotion that I struggle with. I bottle up a lot of things and then it comes out as, as this sort of ragey anger kind of moment. I really, I so appreciate that question. What do you do with the mad that you feel? Because it gets back to my mantra of, I get to choose. I I get to choose what I do with the mad that I feel. I can let it guide me into action or I can let it overtake me, but I get to choose what will you do with the mad that you feel. I love it. Let's end with that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Curious Drawn podcast. Please take a moment to leave a rating and a review, and I'll see you next time. Bye.